BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. On the 5th of November, 1990, Ghislaine Maxwell flew to New York to hand deliver an envelope for her father. What she did not know was that this envelope was part of a plot that Robert Maxwell had initiated to steal $200 million from the shareholders of Berlitz Corporation. The Berlitz Corporation was a language education and leadership training company based in New Jersey. In 1996, Berlitz became a subsidiary of Macmillan Inc. And in November 1988, when Maxwell Communications Corporation took over Macmillan, they also acquired Berlitz. Just a year later, Berlitz was made public. In January of 1991, Maxwell purchased the New York Daily News and sent Ghislaine to New York City to act as his representative. In May 1991, Ghislaine, accompanied by Maxwell, flew on Concord to New York City to attend an event to honor Simon Weisenthal, a Jewish-Austrian Holocaust survivor, Nazi hunter, and writer. To her surprise, Ghislaine was left to attend the function alone as her father had to leave for Moscow unexpectedly. This was the last time Ghislaine would see her father. On the 5th of November, 1991, Robert Maxwell's naked body was found floating in the Atlantic, close to his yacht, the Lady Ghislaine, near the Canary Islands. The inquest ruled that he had died from a heart attack combined with accidental drowning. However, there are many conspiracy theories surrounding his demise. In the days leading up to his death, pressure was mounting on Maxwell. His well-managed empire had started to fall apart and the cracks were starting to show. He had borrowed money in the form of two loans from Goldman Sachs for 30 million pounds, around 60 million dollars, and 20 million pounds, around 40 million dollars, which he had failed to repay. Goldman Sachs had informed the Bank of England they were going to start selling the Mirror Group and MCC shares that it held as collateral. The deputy governor had called an urgent meeting with Kevin and Robert Maxwell to discuss the matter 
which was to be held on the 5th of November. Maxwell's youngest son, Kevin, told the Sunday Times newspaper that he and Maxwell had a shouting match the day before he died. Over the planned meeting with the Bank of England, Deputy Governor Eddie George, Maxwell was still on his yacht and was refusing to return. Kevin was frustrated. He said, quote, We needed to prepare for that meeting, and I was a bit hacked off that he was going to leave it to the last minute. End quote. On the morning of the 5th of November, Kevin didn't call his father, but at 10 a.m., he contacted the captain of Lady Ghislaine to be told that Maxwell was missing. After Maxwell's death, as well as the unpaid loans and other debts that had been accrued, around 460 million pounds, or 900 million dollars, was found to be missing from the pension funds of his companies. It was discovered that the same collateral had been used multiple times at different financial institutions to secure more funding. However, even this was not enough to stop the business from dipping into the employees' pension funds. When the Maxwell Empire collapsed, it was declared the biggest bankruptcy in British history, with debts of over half a billion pounds, or a billion U.S. dollars. Did you all really believe that Robert Maxwell got all his wealth from good business dealings? No, I didn't think so. It turned out that Maxwell's criminal escapades were not a recent thing and were not an unfortunate downside of expanding his empire too quickly. Maxwell's criminal exploits had in fact started many years back when he was a young man and the Eastern Bloc collapsed. At this time, the KGB and other intelligence agents moved into business. These men already knew Maxwell, and together they looked to strip the Soviet empire of its assets. There was a huge underground movement of fraud, deceit, and theft, with Maxwell there taking a 15-20% to 20% cut as he assisted them in laundering money through banks in Bulgaria and other western areas. His reputation preceded him, and he was soon working with master criminals with links to drugs, contract killings, prostitution, illegal arms, and money laundering. But he didn't care. As long as they paid him his cut, that was all that mattered to him. One such deal, and one of the most prominent ones that Maxwell was involved in, was Bulgaria's Neva network. Secret agents would steal the Western technology. Then they would reproduce it in Eastern Bloc nations, such as Bulgaria, and then sell it to the Eastern markets. Maxwell set up the companies to carry out the work and would then launder the money through his network of banks and contacts. Neva grew into one of the most powerful crime syndicates in the world, embracing everyone from the Russian mafia to crime families in Bulgaria, as well as well-known criminal enterprises in other parts of the world like Japan and Hong Kong. All of these companies that Maxwell set up eventually came under one name, Multigroup. This name controlled a significant percentage of global profits from money laundering, gambling, oil, gas, and telecoms. Oh, and we haven't finished yet. Maxwell had even more strings to his bow. Following World War II, Maxwell dappled in intelligence work the Spando Prison in Berlin, interviewing captured Nazi leaders, gaining a reputation as a skilled interrogator. He was offered a position with MI6 in England, as a super contact person. 
However, this was not for Maxwell, and he turned down the offer. Declining the offer raised a few eyebrows, and he was labelled a Zionist by MI6, and classified as someone who needed to be watched, as Zionists were loyal only to Israel. They were right in some respects. Maxwell had a great love for Israel, which started in 1988. And when asked to spy for Mossad, Israel's CIA, he eagerly accepted. Maxwell had visited Israel previously and said that after all the places he had traveled, it was the only place that felt like home. As we said before, he purchased ailing Israeli industries and turned them around. Some also became covers for Mossad. With contacts all over the world, Maxwell used his contacts in Russian government to help Russian Jews emigrate to Israel. People knew Maxwell. They might not have liked him, but he was respected in business circles. This gave him access to areas that not even Mossad could get into. So they used him as their eyes and ears all over the world. Later, Maxwell also became a source of information for other intelligence contacts that he had in the Eastern Bloc, including the KGB. Maxwell was involved in a scheme where Mossad, through Maxwell, stole tracking software from an American company that was then used to infiltrate the American atomic energy programs, just as an example. It is believed by some people that when Maxwell was in trouble, he went to Mossad and told them he was going to expose what happened if they didn't help him out of his financial crisis. This conversation supposedly occurred just three months before he died. A detective came and knocked on the door and I said, is it Renee? And he just gave me that solemn look. It was the worst day ever. The Proof Podcast is back with a new case and a new season. 23 years ago, 18-year-old Renee Ramos went missing. Her body was later found in an empty Home Depot building on the edge of town. I don't think that they arrested the right people. It's about time somebody's trying to do something. She had a black eye about two weeks before she was murdered. They are involved. They definitely had her body and her backpack. You know people are going to judge you, right? Of course. They're judging me now. They've been judging me damn near my whole life. You can listen now to season two of Proof wherever you get your podcasts. And follow along with us as we reinvestigate the murder at the warehouse. I have to ask, did you kill Renee? BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Many believe that Maxwell committed suicide because he couldn't see a way out of the mounting financial mess he was in. A verdict of suicide would mean that his $35 million life insurance policy would not pay out. 
So could it be that he staged it to look like an accident? An initial autopsy by the Spanish authorities concluded he probably had a heart attack after accidentally falling overboard. However, his insurers insisted on another examination by another group of pathologists. The findings of the insurance company report was that it was most likely suicide that led to Maxwell's bizarre death. They are quoted in the Buffalo News on the 21st of February, 1992, as saying, quote, There is circumstantial evidence which leads us to believe that Robert Maxwell intended to take his own life. There is more compelling evidence for the suicide theory than for the accident or murder options. End quote. Their conclusion was based partly on a pathology report by a top London forensic scientist, West, who took part in the second examination of Maxwell's body. His report said, quote, There can be no certainty about how Maxwell died, but that torn muscles in his left shoulder pointed towards suicide. End quote. The Maxwell family do not believe that Robert Maxwell would have committed suicide. In 1997, Ghislaine was quoted as saying, he did not commit suicide. This was just not consistent with his character. I think he was murdered. So what do you think? Maybe he did die of natural causes brought on by stress. Maybe he committed suicide. Or maybe, just maybe, it was foul play. Just five days after Maxwell's death, he was given a state funeral in Israel, attended by a host of Israeli politicians, led by Prime Minister Yitzhak Shamir and President Haim Herzog, who eulogized the self-made tycoon as, quote, a man cast in a heroic mold, end quote. The service was held in Jerusalem's Hall of the People. He was then buried late in the afternoon in Judaism's most prestigious spot, the cemetery on Jerusalem's Mount of Olives, facing the Western Wall. As the scandal about the missing pension funds hit the headlines in England, Ghislaine boarded Concord and headed off across the Atlantic. She ended her long-term love affair with Count Gianfranco Sacogna just a year before, and now her father was dead. Her departure on such an expensive flight caused further outrage. Concord flights one way were around 2,000 pounds per person or almost $4,000. But Maxwell had made sure that Ghislaine was going to be all right. He had left her access to a trust in Liechtenstein that would give her around 80,000 pounds or around $150,000 a year. Plus, Ghislaine had lots of friends in New York including Jeffrey Epstein, who she had been introduced to by her father in the late 1980s, and an Iranian friend who let her move into their apartment that overlooked Central Park. After moving to New York on the rebound and mourning her father's death, Ghislaine took comfort from Epstein and was often seen by his side. They attended restaurant openings together, and she was also a regular visitor to his Upper East Side apartment. She could not have hoped for this type of acceptance in London, where her father had left a legacy of debt and angry employees in his wake. In one article, it was stated that the family was so hated in England 
that Ghislaine had to wear a blonde wig when she left the house for fear of being recognised. Ghislaine worked in a real estate office on Madison Avenue, working by day and socialising by night. She moved into a cheap apartment and continued to build up her contacts. It was in 1992 that Ghislaine and Epstein began officially dating and they were together for a number of years, remaining closely associated for several decades. In fact, in the year 2000, Ghislaine moved into a townhouse less than 10 blocks from Epstein's New York mansion that was purchased by an anonymous LLC, represented by Epstein's longtime lawyer. A few years later, Epstein described Ghislaine as his best friend in a Vanity Fair article. She was known to manage his properties, and of course her social circle was his for the picking, from celebrities to business tycoons and even royalty. And what became of John F. Kennedy Jr., who her father thought would be perfect for her? Whilst Ghislaine remained friends with John F. Kennedy Jr., their relationship did not progress to anything romantic. He was dating the likes of Cindy Crawford, Sarah Jessica Parker, and Daryl Hannah, who he ended up marrying. On the 16th of July, 1999, the Piper Saratoga light aircraft that John F. Kennedy Jr. was piloting failed to arrive at its destination. And on the 20th of June, his body, along with those of his second wife, Carolyn, and his sister-in-law, Lauren, were recovered. Ghislaine continued to date wealthy men, and in 2005, she started a relationship with Ted Waite. Waite is an American billionaire businessman and philanthropist who grew up in Sioux City, Iowa, with his father, Norman, his mother, Joan, and three older siblings, Norman Jr., Cynthia, and Marcia. After playing basketball at Montana State University and then enlisting in the National Guard, his father followed in the family cattle business, becoming a philanthropist when he retired. Norman Sr. married Joan in 1953, and none of their four children decided to carry on the family business. Norman Jr. started Weight Media and Gold Circle Films. Cynthia now directs the Siouxland chapter of the Weight Family Foundation, and Marcia is a teacher in psychology and sociology. Ted founded Gateway Computers and has featured on numerous lists by Forbes magazine and Fortune magazines, including spots on the Forbes 400 Richest Americans and the Forbes list of the world's billionaires. Ted Waite was named by Businessweek as one of the Americans' top 50 most generous philanthropists through his work with the Waite Foundation, which Ted established in 1993. He has multiple luxury homes, and in 2012, around the time that he and Ghislaine split up, he commissioned a 240-foot yacht for 12 guests in eight bedrooms with 25 staff. The triple-decker yacht has an elevator, a massage room, a gym, a jacuzzi, and a helicopter pad. And of course, we now know that Ghislaine is married to the former CEO of tech company Cargo Metrics, Scott Borgeson. 15 years Ghislaine's junior, Borgeson is thought to be worth in the region of £75 million or $100 million. They are thought to have been together since 2013, when they met at an ocean preservation conference. And shortly after this, Borgeson left his wife for Ghislaine. We also know that Ghislaine has many influential friends and acquaintances 
that have been verified, including Prince Andrew and his ex-wife Sarah Ferguson from the English royal family, former US President Bill Clinton and his wife Hillary, and former US President Donald Trump. Ghislaine also claims to have links to Erich Schmidt, the former CEO of Google, who she says she met through Ted Waite. However, people close to both Ghislaine and Schmidt have said that they were not friends, they just happened to be at the same events on occasion. She has also claimed to be friends with Jeff Bezos, Amazon's CEO. However, this has never been confirmed by him or anyone on his staff. And then there is Elon Musk, who said, quote, I don't know her at all. She photobombed me once at a Vanity Fair party several years ago, end quote. So Ghislaine was able to walk away from everything, jump on a plane and start a new life in the United States without much more than a backward glance. Her brothers Kevin and Ian, however, certainly did not have an easy ride after their father, Robert Maxwell, passed away and the extent of his huge empire's financial issues started to come to light. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Almost immediately after Maxwell's death, banks started to frantically call in their huge loans. Kevin and Ian desperately tried to keep the empire together, but with billions of pounds worth of debt, it was too little too late, and they had to apply for bankruptcy protection in 1992. In the early morning on the 19th of June, 1992, Kevin Maxwell, age 33, and Ian Maxwell, age 36, along with Larry Trackenberg, a former advisor of Robert Maxwell, age 39, were arrested following a seven-month investigation into the collapse of the publishing empire. They were facing a total of 15 charges of conspiracy and theft, including some that related to Robert Maxwell's unexplained death. Kevin Maxwell was devastated when his father died, saying that he was completely in awe of him and that he missed Maxwell's presence and his ability to dominate. When the police arrived to arrest him, his wife Pandora, assuming the plain-clothed police officers were reporters, shouted from the window, quote, Piss off. We don't get up for another hour. End quote. When the police rang the doorbell again, she threatened to call the police, at which point one of the two officers pointed out that they were the police, we are the police. and asked her again to open the door. Kevin was arrested and taken from his house, along with bags containing documents and computer disks. Kevin said he was looking forward to being able to defend himself in court after months of trial and innuendo, rumor, press leaks, and prejudicial media reporting. He also said to the Washington Post that he intended to vigorously and strenuously contest all charges made against him. When Kevin appeared in court, he was charged with two counts of conspiracy and six of theft, totaling more than £150 million, 
or $223 million. Kevin was bailed for 500 million pounds or $930,000. Ian Maxwell was charged with his brother in Trackenburg with one count of conspiracy. His bail was set at £250,000 or $465,000. And Larry Trackenberg was additionally charged with two counts of conspiracy and four counts of theft. His bail was set at £300,000 or $558,000. The trial lasted eight months and was heard at the Old Bailey in London. On day 57 of the trial, witness Robert Black, a foreign exchange expert and former director of Robert Maxwell Group Trading, said that he lost his job with the Maxwell Empire after listening to an incriminating tape recording involving a £20 million deal. He said that the deal was being executed on the 5th of November 1991 the exact same day that Robert Maxwell disappeared. That evening, he realized that the money required to finance the deal had not been provided as promised. And despite this, Larry Trachtenberg continued to pressurize him to make the payment. Black stated that he must have called Mr. Trachtenberg's office at least 50 times on the 6th of November, 1991, but was told that Larry was away from the office or too busy to come to the phone. He did manage to get through a couple of times and was told that Kevin Maxwell was dealing with the matter personally. By the 12th of November, the money had still not been received, something Black had not seen in his 19 years as a foreign exchange trader. It was at this point that he got hold of the tape to listen back to the original instructions to ensure that the Robert Maxwell Trading Group had handled the deal correctly and that there could be no comeback on him. When Black told Trachtenberg that he had listened to the tape, Trachtenberg got very upset, saying, quote, I was very concerned because evidence on the tape was incriminating towards me, end quote. Black says that it was at this point that his employment with the Robert Maxwell Trading Group was terminated. Throughout the trial, Kevin Maxwell, Ian Maxwell and Larry Trachtenberg continually denied conspiracy to defraud the pensions funds by misuse of its investments. When Kevin Maxwell testified, he said that his father viewed the pension fund assets as, quote, just another part of the company assets that could be lent other affiliates, end quote. When summing up, Lord Justice Phillips included the following, quote, while no one denies there were financial difficulties facing Maxwell Group at the time of the share transactions in late 1992, the loans made to it have to be seen against the culture of massive intercompany lending, end quote. There was a jury of seven women and five men. All three men were found not guilty on all counts, as people in the courtroom gasped. Kevin remained calm and composed while Ian and Larry both wept and embraced their relatives. At its peak, the Maxwell Empire employed 16,000 people across all of its companies, including Britain's Mirror Group newspapers, US publishers Macmillan, and the Berlitz language schools. When the empire collapsed, around 32,000 current and former employees were told that they might lose their pension funds. Eventually, with the sale of company assets and a bailout plan from the British government, some of the funds were reinstated, though many people lost a large percentage of what they had saved. 
1995, at his trial, Robert Maxwell's youngest son, Kevin, stated that his father had been capable of great generosity and charm, but had also demanded absolute loyalty and reacted badly to criticism. Kevin said he was capable of verbal brutality and was sometimes a bully who worked up to 17 hours a day, seven days a week, and was motivated by power. He was quoted in the Times of Israel as saying, quote, He did not consider himself above the law, but he would stretch it as far as it would go. End quote. 